Hello, this is episode 298 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Redding. I'm sorry, my voice is a little wheezy at the moment because I've developed an allergy to dog mite, one of the long-term side effects of COVID at the moment. And poor little Linky's had his third operation in a year on his knee. And obviously he can't have a bath. I don't want him to carry him around a lot. So I'm a little bit wheezy. I recorded a podcast on love this time last year being kind of the theme and so I thought I'd record a podcast on relationship advice for teens. I thought a lot about this when I was writing my teen book which I'm sharing on my Patreon at the moment and I was also really keen to include one of the books I read over Christmas in this podcast series, The Queen of Coin and Whispers by an Irish writer called Helen Corcoran. I think that's how you say her name. I'll put a link in the description. And it's funny, like, when the woman in the bookshop was describing this book to me, she's like, oh, I read it three times, it's brilliant. And I need to read it three times as well. Because the first time you read it, like, you're, you're just so wanting the pace and wanting everything to unfold and happen that I think you you miss a lot of the subtleties in it. And in a way, on, on paper, this book shouldn't work. And I can see why possibly it took time to publish because it's it's out of the box completely redefines relationships of women, fantasy, rewrites fairy stories, it's a queen set around a court. But relationship-wise, I love the book because I love the fact that the two female characters grow together and I love the fact that it breaks the rules and it's not conforming. I love the fact that you find ways to show your love even if that it will be judged by a court of people What I most love is that sometimes people get broken along the way and that we don't always have the compassion to help them heal. And the love is very private. It's literally in the shadows. And there's nothing showy about the care. So for me, it's a a deeply real relationship between the two characters. I felt incredibly invested in it. And they bond over a book. And it's funny, I write books for people. Everybody I write for really bonds to me in some way. So in many ways, it's probably my favourite teen relationship book I've ever read. And that says a lot. One of the impacts of my own teen book is that it seems to ensure that people's first sexual experience is positive. And I think this is one of the great taboos that we don't talk about in the world, especially for girls. I think it's a really forming experience that sets the tone for a lot of your relationships. And I think when I worked in the students' union in Galway University, I was very shocked at how women viewed themselves sexually in relationships, regardless of sexuality. And in fact, I was more shocked by some of the behaviour on the gay scene because I often found the women that their first sexual experience was with a woman slightly older, slightly more experienced, and ended up having quite a predator feel to it. People who like to be the first almost to conquer people and then very publicly move on to the next person. It was incredibly hurtful. Again, this is another part of the taboos that we don't talk about. I think every woman that I have spoken to who ended up in a first relationship with a gay woman ended up with somebody slightly older who treated them very badly. And so I'm hoping 
There are many of the conversations at the moment that are taking place when gender freedom and opening up of roles and the dynamics are going to start to change a lot of like core patterning in this. But one of the big themes, and this has come up again in a conversation recently with a parent in relation to a teen, um, and this is a big statement that I often make, it only has to be right for now. This doesn't mean that I don't think that that can extend for infinity and beyond. But it's strange. When we tie knots, we stop growing. When we start projecting to what we think the future will look like, we're no longer unfolding now. And in the team book, I included a quote from Eckhart Tolle. I think it's from The New Earth. I couldn't find in Goodreads what book it's from, but I'm, I'm almost certain I read it in The New Earth. If I accept the fact that my relationships are here to make me conscious instead of happy, then my relationships become a wonderful self-mastery tool that keeps realigning me with my higher purpose. And at the time in the team book, what I wrote was, what's he on? Something I wish I had got a long time ago. It only has to be right for now. Stop trying to make people in your life at this moment perfect forever. You will grow. If you're really lucky, you'll find ones that will grow with you for many years to come in tandem. And you'll find them early in life. I wasn't this lucky. Well, my folks were. They met really young and have kept growing and swapping roles along the way. This is one of the most massive pitfalls of teens, though. Looking for Mr. or Miss Perfect. Instead of all my relationships, friends, soulmates, mentors, siblings, teachers, parents and crushes are here to evolve me into a better person. One that clocks up experiences, good and bad, which make me the person I am. Not a case of, oh, that didn't work. So I lost all dignity and should barricade myself in my bedroom for the next millennium. All of the ugly has a growth effect. The ones you fight with, they're like fertilizer for you. Even the people you grow to hate or hate you. Every failed relationship is teaching you what you really need in your life and what you don't in Technicolor. I'm not sure I can particularly grow to help people, but certainly at times I certainly find that I've grown too much and that the gap is too big so people don't tend to stay in my world. And this is very much around this theme of what's called a conscious relationship. And I'll share a very simple article that I often share with people on this. Again, it's one of those very readable articles. But it's the idea of consciously not trying to make something perfect, but trying to lean into the lessons and what's happening. But one of the challenges at the moment in society is that a lot of conscious relationships, a lot of what's described in this article, can actually be used by a lot of sort of narcissistic dynamics to control you, to knock your self-esteem, to play a lot of games with you. And so it can be quite hard in our society. I read, I read a lot of comments online and I can see that a lot of the, be the behaviours and the relationship dynamics that people are in are quite damaging. They're very damaging to you personally and that, that's part of the, the, the role of narcissism. It's this idea that if I make you feel bad about yourself, I by default make myself feel better. And so how do you navigate that? 
how do you know when something is consciously growing you and when something is just being a really dysfunctional relationship? And for me, it's very easy to tell whether a relationship is good for you. Do you look good? Like happy good? Do you have a good self-image? I pile on weight when I'm in bad relationships. It's an energy thing, I realize. I give, they take, I look lousy. It's one of my biggest gauges. Do I look well? My eyes even look different. They don't look drained. Do you feel good about yourself? Are things going well in your life? Do you feel encouraged to try new things, good experiences? Not ones because they're cool, because of peer pressure. Are your studies, hobbies, interests going well? Are you growing? Is your world expanding? Are new opportunities coming to you? That college offer you wanted, the promotion in your job, even a part-time one. I remember being in a relationship and creating opportunity after opportunity and it was like sand running through my fingers because just nothing worked. Do you feel supported? Do you feel whole by yourself? Are you happy in the time by yourself? That's a really big one for me. It's not just that you're happy at the time with the person, but are you happy at the time when you're not with them? Are you constantly second-guessing what's happening? And it's funny, one of the kind of, you know, almost the, the gurus of, of writing about love is Cahill, Cahill Gabron and what are deemed to be love letters. And in one particular set, he spends his whole life apologising for himself. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't say sorry or know that you've gone in a bad loop in your head or that you've had doubts or whatever. But you shouldn't feel like you're constantly seeking approval or apologising for being you. And by comparison, I really love the letters in his relationship with his Patreon, Mary Haskell. And so there was two key women in his life, and I'm going to read you two different passages that he wrote to each to show you the difference between conditional relationships and unconditional support and growth. So Mary Haskell was a principal of a school in Boston, and that was probably a big reason why they didn't take their relationship further. But her support of him, both as a benefactory, because it allowed him to go and study in Paris at the time, but she also, the reason that we have The Prophet, his most famous book, is because she was the one who sat down and edited it. She was the one who really believed in him. She was the one who saw his capabilities because he was so far ahead at the time. His family had moved from the Lebanon over to the States, and that's how they first met. So this is one of the, the passages that he wrote to her. When the mist overwhelms the eye in me, I take two or three letters out of the little box and reread them. They remind me of my true self. They make me overlook all that is not high and beautiful in life. Each and every one of us, dear Mary, must have a resting place somewhere. The resting place of my soul is a beautiful groove where my knowledge of you lives. So she constantly reminds him of his self and of his I. I want to include a link to the, the book Beloved Prophet, which includes their letters and her journal. I unfortunately don't have a copy of it because I can't get it in Ireland. And I'll include a link to an essay that was written about it. By comparison, 
This is the conditional letters that he wrote, which is seen as, you know, the great love affair. I really hate these letters. It's funny. And he wrote these to a Lebanese-Palestinian poet um, whose name I can't pronounce. May, I, I, I couldn't find the pronunciation online, so I'm just going to include the name. If you happen to like anything in it, then your approval will turn it into graceful reality. If not, then it will revert in entirety to mist. I want to include a link as well to their love poems. But all along in these letters, there's just this constant sense of him seeking her approval, of things not being good enough, and of him constantly trying to change himself for her and for her approval. And in a way, those letters are deemed to be love letters, whereas the letters to Mary Haskell are so grounding and growing and supportive by comparison. So this is much of the things that we don't talk about in relationships. And so when I sought to write about this for teens, I sought to try and explain the difference between growth and many of the controlling narcissistic habits that we seem to be rewarding in society currently. And I think I think they're a bigger impact as to why it's more difficult to negotiate relationships in this time than any impact of social media. All of the rather dysfunctional behaviour and social media messaging are just indicative of what's at the root of what you feel a relationship should be and what games you feel you should allow people to play with you.